Welcome to What Happened Next, a podcast about newish books. My name is Nathan Whitlock, and I'm a writer. On this podcast, I speak to other writers about what happens when their new book is no longer new, and it's time to write another one. To let me know what you think of this podcast or to suggest a future guest, please go to the contact page at nathanwhitlock.ca. Before I introduce my guest, I wanted to let you know that I have a book that is not just newish, it's actually brand new. It's a novel called Lump, and it's published by the Rare Machines imprint at Dundurn Press. It's my third novel. I've read it, and it's good. You can find out more about Lump at nathanwhitlock.ca. My guest on this episode is Aaron Pepler. Aaron is a freelance writer whose work has appeared in Today's Parent, Parents Canada, Savvy Mom, Romper, Scary Mommy, Money Sense, Broadview Magazine, and many more. Her first book, Send Me Into the Woods Alone, Essays on Motherhood, was published by Invisible Publishing in 2022. Writing about the book in The Globe and Mail, Marsha Lederman said, Send Me Into the Woods Alone is the book I wish I had as a companion during those early difficult months and early difficult years. Because this book is not just instructive and insightful, it is great company and hilarious. Erin and I talk about the tricky business of writing a book with two kids underfoot, how her COVID-aware book launch was almost derailed by her getting COVID right before it, and about the messages she receives almost every day from readers who want to share their own stories. I saw a recent post by you, and I, I don't know which of the half dozen problematic social media platforms to choose from uh, <laughs> it was on, but it was a photo of your car in a parking lot. Yeah. And you were working using your phone as a hotspot. I think you had just dropped your kids off at camp. Yep. And you had a work meeting happening. Um, and so you were trying to do this work meeting while literally like sitting in a parking lot outside of your car. And it felt very on brand. Is that kind of uh, a regular occurrence with you? Is that just how things are? Like you're constantly doing, you know, meetings in the bathroom or in a parking lot or trying to conduct, you know, grown up business while people are, you know, demanding, uh, you know, Paw Patrol in the background (laughs) or. So it's less common than it used to be. I think part of the thing is, and you might not know this because you just read my book and I wrote the book when my kids were a bit younger. Mm-hmm. So my kids are actually, my youngest is turning 11. So oh, okay. we're actually out of the Paw Patrol years. Thank God. Um, and, but it used to be a very big reality where I would schedule meetings at nap time. I would schedule meetings in the two hour window that my mother-in-law could come over and help. Uh, preschool ran from 9 a.m. till 11.35 and you had to factor in, I have to drop them off and pick them up. So could I go to a Starbucks? Could I take a meeting there? Or did I have to do it from my car because it would be more quiet? So that was my reality for a long time. Now, that particular day, that was just a couple of days ago, it was that my kids are going to an art camp that runs in the afternoon. My husband and I are taking turns doing drop off and pick up. It's only a three hour camp and it's a 25 minute drive away. So it's more oh, of a waste geez. of time to go home. Yes. And that's just, it's just how it happened. They were really interested in this art camp. It's a great program. We thought we can make it work. And then we didn't anticipate, of course, as everyone does, oh, he's in office this day. Oh, I have to go 
out of town this day. Oh, this day we have calls, so I can only do this or that. So it was just a matter of being like, I have a deadline. So it wasn't a meeting, it was, I was editing. It was like, I have a deadline and I don't have time to go home. And I went into the public library and it was actually really noisy because they were doing summer kids programming. And it's a 30 degree day and I'm hot and I'm sweaty and I'm stressed out and I just need to work. And so I sat in the shade beside my car. Uh, at one point I was using the back of my car as a standing desk <laughs> <laughs> and I just did what I had to do to get work done. And it was funny to see people's reactions as they went by um, and people trying to kind of park around me and I'm getting out of their way and going, sorry, sorry, I've just got, you know, a deadline trying to hit the kids are over there at camp. And so many moms were like, nope, I've been there. This is, this is my life too. I get it. Uh, so I was a little embarrassed at first looking like this weirdo on the back of, you know, with a laptop balance on the back of my car. But every woman that went by was kind of like, yeah, no, I've done that. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, I mean, on the plus side, you may have a new piece to write about. You may have a new thing to that. write about. <laughs> it's, yeah. yeah. Every one of these events becomes new, uh, new content, new, a new pitch. More relatable than I realized when I was doing it. Yeah. Well, it also, and I, I, I realize now, yeah, of course, you're the kids you were writing about in the book are now real people they're they're yeah on their way to becoming adults my daughter's um, gonna be 13 this winter yes and yeah. probably getting to the point where they could start they're ready to read the book like <laughs> and read about i told them 16 i told them 16 oh you so we'll you have see. actually set the border like they cannot well, they, and they have, they have no last... temptation to sneak it off the shelf and well they each have a copy in their room because they're very sweet and they wanted me to sign it for them and it, they know it's <laughs> dedicated to them their initials are for dedication um so they're very they love to show their friends and say oh like oh jp that's me that kind oh, of thing that's adorable it's very sweet but i told them you know there's some adult language and there's some stuff about you know me growing up and some just some things that it's not inappropriate but i would rather them read it with a bit more maturity um and so I told them like probably 16 and they're very rule following so they were like okay but it's in their bedrooms <laughs> yes well there's a whole chapter about medical exams like very intimate medical exams that they that's probably actually, will be that's one of the parts I wouldn't mind them reading because we're okay. such a, a literal family so I'm like oh I can say vagina in front of my kids it's more like uh the thing like there's a chapter on why I parent them certain ways because I'm taking the things I loved from my own childhood, but I'm also kind of correcting and walking away from the things that I found really challenging um, and upsetting in my childhood. So I'm mm -hmm. kind of like, they don't need to read necessarily about, you know, their grandparents' divorce and how it affected me like 20 years before they were born. Right, <laughs> so right, right. It's more that kind of thing. Yeah. And I wasn't even thinking of that chapter as being, you know, uh, uh, having a, a prohibition on that one or drawing a line right. more just like the ick factor of like, I don't want to read about my mom's medical exams. That, you know, <laughs> that's true. That's I don't true. want that in my head. Given that the kids were much younger when you when you wrote all of these essays, mm -hmm. it really kind of prompts the question, how? I mean, how do you pull these together when you are in the thick of it? I mean, I am a parent yeah. who I've, I've I have three kids and I know it's a matter of finding like little bits of little pockets of time here. It's not mm -hmm. sort of, I'll just go to the cabin for six months and, or I'll take <laughs> that, that Banff residency and disappear for four months and oh, stare, the dream, stare right? at mountains. Yes. Yeah. I, I literally have always said every time they post a writer's residency, I, th I always think like, why is there not one with childcare? Why doesn't it come with some like magical 
you know, person who's going to take your kids off for the day. And I'm Mary Poppins. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Whisk them away into the woods and, and uh, entertain them. But how did you pull it together? It's an interesting question to answer because part of me wants to acknowledge like the privilege I had around it, which was I was able to say to my husband, I really want to write a book and I'm going to go on like a discount hotel website and book three nights anywhere, like just like whatever's on sale. Yep. And I'm going to lock myself away and work on it. And so having a supportive partner and the funds to be able to do that and, you know, family who was like, yeah, you should write a book, go do it and really encourage me. That was a huge privilege. Um, but at the same time, I'm like, yeah, it was hard. <laughs> uh, my husband was the one working full time for years and I was home working part time for about five years uh, as a freelancer. So managing my own schedule, but about part time hours. And then when my youngest went to junior kindergarten, I started working full time. And it was after that that I started writing the book. Um, and that's when I felt really, I'd been thinking about it for years. I wanted to stop thinking about it and start doing it. Um, but it was a matter of, like you said, like pockets of time. I'm not a good like 5am writers club person. I'm not consistent. I don't write every day. I wish I did. Um, I'm a binge writer. So I will sit and write for five hours on and off and write, have a huge word count. Just a ton comes out of me. And of course, later you edit that down, you change it, whatever. Um, or I'll go away for a weekend and write 10 or 15,000 words over the course of three days. But then I don't touch my book for like six weeks sometimes. <laughs> so I'm not a, I, I'm not a role model. I'm not a good consistent writer. So it was hard for me because I think in uh, creative nonfiction, especially and writing about motherhood, like I'm writing about it as I'm living it. And the most important thing in the world to me is my children. And they take up so much of my energy and my emotional capacity and all of those things and you know this like when you're writing you can't just sit down and write it's not like you can do it mindlessly like you really mm -hmm. have to be engaged you really have to have the clarity you really have to have like enough energy and focus to get it done um, so I'd be really drained at the end of the day and be like no I can't I can't write today I can't do it so that's why I'd often disappear uh, for a couple of days to work on the book and that's what worked for me but it also is something that I know a lot of people don't have the luxury of doing just because of the weird personality that I have. Many mm -hmm. years ago, I got into the habit of getting up <clears throat> kind of pre-dawn and doing all my writing then in the first few hours. And I'm always sort of aware that at some point I'm going to hear foot footsteps, <laughs> you know, yeah. running, to the, running to the bathroom over my head. And then there'll be like 30 seconds and then the office door will fly open and there'll be a dog and a kid come flying yeah. in, you know, in underpants. You know, as you say, it's like harder to get into that mindset where you are completely all about the writing. Your your brain always has certain feelers yeah. out and certain certain sensors out of like what what do they need? Who's coming? What's, what's about to happen? Yeah, and I don't know if you felt this, but I would feel a little bit of guilt or a little bit of selfishness um, if I was mm -hmm. like, I'm just going to go tuck away and work on a book because yeah, you and I both know. Uh, I, like for me books are not a thing that I do because they're going to make me a ton of money. Like that's not mm -hmm. reality. So I do work during the day, uh, copywriting and other things and journalism. I work for a lot of magazines and that's my income generator. The book was written purely because I had things to say. I felt strongly about them. I wanted to connect with other moms and other parents. Um, it just was something I felt really compelled to do. It's, it's like the perfect example of when someone's like, oh, it's a passion project. I'm like, I didn't do it because I had time or I was bored or I want, I thought it would make me money. I did it because I wanted to do it so badly. Um, so to be like, hey, I'm just going to go tuck away in my office for a couple hours and work on it. And then hearing 
yes, my husband's doing a great job managing the kids, but like, obviously it's a lot for him and he's worked his full-time job all day. I would feel selfish about that. So I'm kind of the opposite of you. If I do work consistently, I do it late at night um, after everybody's gone to bed and that's my quiet time. I'm not early morning. I'm late at night, but it's the same thing. I feel better when I'm like, well, everyone's asleep now. Nobody needs me. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter what I do now. It's harder for me to do it during the day or like on a Saturday afternoon or anytime I feel like I should be with my family or yeah. want to be with my family. It's not just should, it's not just obligation, right? Like I want to be with my kids and my husband. Well, I'm a little insulted that you think that I don't live off my royalties, uh, <laughs> that I'm not like swimming in royalty checks, but I'll, I'll let it pass. Um, whether it's a collection of short stories or a collection of essays, I'm always curious about the the intention behind them in terms mm-hmm. of were they all written to be to go together? Were they all written as a piece? Uh, in other words, you wrote it as a book or were they sort of separate things that you slowly brought together and realized, oh, I can actually connect these all or I have all these. I've got to put add some more. Which was it with this book? It was very much like I'm setting out to write a book. I'm setting out to write a collection. But I knew from the beginning that I wanted them all to stand alone. Like I wanted it to be like, you can read one piece, you can change the order. They are in an order that I think makes sense, but you could read it in whatever order you want, really. Um, I wanted to, as a collection, paint a pretty full picture of those early years of motherhood and pregnancy and those hard parts that I focus on a lot, but also those really beautiful moments. Um, but yeah, it was never meant to be individual pieces. In terms of going back even further in terms of like the the writing that you were doing and as you were sort of pre- becoming a writer, mm-hmm. what was the form you wanted to tackle? Like when did you have like, I'm going to write an 800 page novel with eight generations in it, or mm-hmm. I'm going to write a play or I'm going to write collections of poems. Like what was the what would, did you think feel was like your ideal form? Um, I knew it was going to be personal essay for sure. Uh, Cause that's what I've always written. I've done op-ed for a lot of magazines. Like I write for, I've done a lot of writing for today's parent, Chatelaine and Broadview and places like that. Um, Scary mommy in the States, which is a big one for doing opinion pieces about motherhood. Mm-hmm. Um, but even before that, I had been writing personal essays since high school. And that was the thing that I didn't even know I was writing personal essays. I would just sit down and write. And then eventually it was made clear to me, like, oh, that's what I'm doing. These are considered creative nonfiction. Um, And then when I started thinking about writing the book, I just kind of outlined all these ideas and conversations I wanted to have. And then I would sit down and start writing them. And I think that's just where I go naturally. I would love to write a novel. I don't know if I have that talent. I don't know if I have the right kind of talent. Maybe I do. I haven't really tested it. I might also be a terrible fiction writer. Um, (laughs) I know like nonfiction is where I've always gravitated, what I've always done. And I feel like I do a good job expressing myself through writing like a lot better than I do when I'm speaking or when I'm kind of put on the spot with people. Um, I feel like my truest, most clear self when I'm writing nonfiction. Um, So there was never a question of how I would do it. It was just more of like, how would I do it? Like, where would the time come from? Would someone want to publish it? Like, how are we going to make this into an actual book? Um, I was optimistic about it in the sense that I thought if I can sit down and write this book, I can get it out in the world somehow. I feel like if I can do it, it will mean something to people and it will get out there somehow. But I also had no idea what that was going to look like, or if I was just being overly optimistic about it, a little bit foolish, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting, too, because I feel like I've talked to a lot of people, a lot of writers 
who primarily work within you know the form of like personal essays creative nonfiction, mm -hmm. and if they're over a certain age they have that experience of like that's what they're doing naturally that's their natural that's the voice that's the approach they they gravitate towards and then mm -hmm. somebody externally has to go no no that's a real thing you're not just yeah writing diary. diary entries yeah. <laughs> exactly you're actually doing a respectable legitimate form of writing I feel like people in their like early twenties, late teens, like for them, it's that's they're, they're soaking in it. Like it's, it's very much a legitimate form now. Whereas there was a time where it's like, is this, but this is just me. This is just me talking. How can that be? Mm -hmm. How can that be legitimate or real? Yeah. Uh, someone saying this is an art. This is an actual form that people seek out because they enjoy it and you're good at it. Um, whereas before I kind of had that validation not that you need external validation, but I think somebody named it and that was very helpful. It feels very self-indulgent to be like, I'm just gonna sit down and write out all my thoughts on things and like, <laughs> as if someone will want to read them. And then later you go, no, people do want to read them because if I think of what I like to read, it's very meaningful to see yourself in things or to gain a new perspective. Like whether you see yourself in it or you don't, I think there's value there. Um, and I was thinking, well, I read a ton of personal essays. So it was funny to me later thinking, why did I think mine were, you know, silly and self-indulgent when I love reading other people's? But I mean, that might just be a writer thing, right? We've all got our, our hangups about <laughs> yeah. is what we're doing any good. I do have to push back on one thing you said, though, which is that okay. you might not have the talent to write a novel. I I don't accept that idea of like, the difference between this form and that form is a matter of talent. I, I honestly feel like for, like for myself as someone who writes novels mm -hmm. and, and struggles to write personal essays, I write novels because I can't write personal essays. I just write book long personal essays that I take myself out of, <laughs> that uh -huh. I remove myself from, and it becomes a novel that way. Uh, and every time I try to sit down and write something using I and me, I'm like, I don't know who this character is. I don't know who this, what's the voice? What's the approach? Yeah. I'm much more comfortable just removing myself. So it's, I feel like it's a, it's a, it's an approach, not a, not a question of talent. Oh, I should clarify. I don't mean like in general, fiction writers are more talented than nonfiction writers. It means like, of course, I, think yeah. I think they're different talents. It's and a different I feel approach. Like I have the one talent. I'm like, that's a skill I have. And then when you say, if someone said to me, okay, now go write a novel, I'd be like, I don't know if I'm any good at that. I could write a novel and be like, hey, I, I actually can do this. That's cool. Because I love fiction so much. Um, but I've never been compelled to write it the way I'm compelled to write nonfiction. So mm -hmm. I could sit down and try to write a novel and it could be absolute garbage. Like just because I'm good at one thing, I don't feel that I'm inherently good at the other is more what I mean. Right. So I will have to try one day and we'll see if it's, if it's I, trash or not. <laughs> I honestly feel with writers in terms of the approach they take and the, and the, you know, the genre they work in and the categories they inhabit, it's really a matter of like, what kind of damage do they have <laughs> in their personality? <laughs> What's the particular problem they're, they're working through? What's the particular, yeah. you know, issue they have that, that sends them in that, in that direction. When it comes to like writing with your personal voice and mm -hmm. using the I and using the first person format, Another thing I'm always curious about is it kind of relates to interviews I've I've heard with stand-up comedians mm -hmm. where there are people who feel like when they're young, they're very effortlessly funny and they're able to make their friends laugh. And then they get up on a stage and they become much more stiff and formal 
and mm -hmm. unlike themselves. And it takes often years of doing it to actually like relax and find the natural voice that is theirs. Mm -hmm. as opposed to it which seems counterintuitive you think well that's just your voice you're you just start speaking and it's you but because they 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 get blocked up with this idea of oh i'm doing it for real now i have to put on like a grown-up voice or i have to put on a real writer voice yeah. did you go through that stage of like what is my actual voice or you know with your early stuff were you finding you're a little more formal or writerly or were you trying to inhabit a voice that wasn't quite yours in other words, the more the more you've mm. done this, do you feel like you've found your voice and it's become closer to the, the person you are? I think yes and no. I think yes, I think probably the yes part would be the more I do it and the more people tell me they've related to it or they found meaning in it, the more I kind of loosen up um, and feel a little more free to be completely myself. I might have been a little bit more formal. I don't think strikingly more formal but maybe a little bit in my early days. Um, the no though would be part of, I think what works for me or what has worked for me is that I write so much as myself, but I'm a little oblivious sometimes to how that reads to other people. So mm -hmm. I remember right. signing my book deal in 2019. My book came out in 2022, we had some pandemic delays. Um, but I remember signing my book deal and somebody at my publisher saying, is this going to be like a humor book? And I was like, oh, no, no, it's personal essays. And then my publisher at the time going, well, no, it, it is going to be humor because you're funny. And I went like, oh, and then I was kind of awkward. And I was like, am I funny? Like, but I think <laughs> sometimes, sometimes I'm funny. Um, but if I was trying to be funny, I think I would find it hard. And that's where I can relate to what you're yes. saying about comedians. I think if I just let myself be loose and natural and the way I am, some people will find that funny. And those are the readers that are going to like my book and relate to my book. Those are the people that are probably going to vibe best with the book. But if I was told to sit down and write something funny, I don't know that I could because then I'd be so aware of like, is this going to make people laugh? I said, I don't set out with the goal to make people laugh. I just kind of write the way I speak and I talk about the world, the way I see it and the way I cope with things, which is not necessarily using humor to deflect, but a lot of the time, I'm very serious in serious situations, but I find that when I look back on them later, I can find the humor in them. And when you're writing, you're always looking back on things. So that might be where that comes from. It sort of relates to that, again, that sense of like an external person going like, no, 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 there's enormous amounts of humor in here. And I can attest to that. There's enormous amounts of humor in the book, but it's, <laughs> it is much more of a, um, a point of view thing it's your point yeah. of view that's funny and it finds the the details the little absurdities the weird little contradictions and and frustrations mm -hmm. yeah it's there, a good way to put it i think would be there are no jokes in the book like there are no intentional yes. jokes anywhere in the book but i think that people find it funny because of what you just said like i really love absurdity and ridiculousness and i find that to be so helpful when you look back at things later like things that have been hard um I just like to give everything a little bit of levity and it's also an easier way to talk about hard stuff with people and I think it maybe is hopeful because if you're the person who's going through it like if you're um because you've read the book so you know this but I had high premises gravidarum so I would throw up like 25 times a day and I tore a muscle in my stomach and I like pop blood vessels in my face and so everyone's like how are you feeling you're pregnant and they I'm not like glowing and feeling good I was like I felt like I was dying and at some points I was hospitalized on an IV and they're just trying to keep me hydrated and 
keep me from throwing everything up. Um, and that was really, really hard to go through, uh, especially the second time because I had a small child. It wasn't just myself that I could lie around and be like, I have to just get through this. I had a child who had existed already. That was so hard. Um, and I write about this in the book that I would throw up so hard and so suddenly that I would pee my pants. Yes. Uh, and this is me at like oh, seven, I... eight months pregnant. So I'm massively pregnant. I'm in an apartment in Toronto in Fleur West Village that does not have private laundry. So I can't even go throw them in the laundry. Like I have shared laundry with two other people. Uh, and it was just so, oh, like I just, I can't even put it into words. I mean, in the book I do, but I can't when I, still when I speak about it, I'm like, it was so difficult and it was just so dehumanizing. Like I'm just, mm -hmm. I'm like, and then everyone's kind of like, how are you doing? How are you feeling? Like pregnancy, beautiful, amazing. Um, <laughs> so if somebody's going through that and they read the book, I think there's almost like, giving them a level of hope to be able to talk about it and look back and laugh on it because it's almost like, okay, one day maybe I can look back on this and laugh. Um, so if someone's a little closer to the experience than I am now, because, you know, I'm 11 years out from being pregnant with either of my kids. Yeah. It might be, it might be helpful in that way. I feel like even the title is kind of a litmus test for that. Yeah. Because when I read it, send me into the woods alone essays on motherhood. Mm -hmm. I know exactly the voice that's going to be in that book. I knew exactly the, the sort of like dark rye. I knew that there was going to be that sort of absurdist approach to it, even without looking at the, I mean, the, the image on the cover kind of gives it away a little bit, but, mm -hmm. but I know that if you were to say that to some people, they'd be like, oh my God, this sounds so dark and so depressing. And it must <laughs> be such like just a grind of a book. Because Send Me Into the Woods Alone is, depending on your, per again, the damage you're working through in your personality, Yeah, it could seem like the most dark and ominous title or, again, really fun, still dark, but clearly funny, clearly not meant as a literal, this is what motherhood is. Yeah, I don't want to abandon my children for real. I think that it's, <laughs> that was going to be yeah, my next question. <laughs> yeah, I I think that's a great way to put it. I mean, I feel the same way. I think if you read the title or hear the title and you smirk and go like, "Oh yeah, that makes sense to me," yeah, then you'll probably enjoy the book. If you hear "Send Me Into the Woods Alone" and you think like, "Oh, that's bad," like you know, you, know, <laughs> you shouldn't want to run away from your kids. It's like, well, maybe give the book a try. But like, you you got to have a sense of humor about it. That and I talk about it in that essay my kids are everything to me. And I, I think every parent feels that to some extent. It's just, you know, they are everything to me and have been since the moment they were born. But if I didn't occasionally feel like running into the woods screaming because they were driving me so crazy or because I was touched out or because I hadn't had a moment to myself and I couldn't even think clearly, like, are you even a parent if you haven't thought, felt yeah. that way at some point, right? Like we all can relate to that feeling. So it's just a matter of like, are you willing to name it and joke about it and kind of own it a bit and be like, yeah, sometimes I want to run away to a quiet place because this is crazy. This is hard. Yes. Well, you even mentioned the fact that you like to, even though you are, you, you call yourself an extrovert and you love being around people, you mentioned how you just like sometimes when you pull into your driveway to just sit in the car quietly yeah, I still <laughs> just, do that. yep you actually say something in the um in the author's note to the book because mm -hmm. you wrote the book pre-pandemic not that it's outdated at all or has become irrelevant but you're not going to make any references to you know zoom classes no, or it would you know. be weird it would be weird to not talk about it yes I think yeah 
but you actually say something about your hopes for when the book comes out. Yeah. But you said, please tell me things are better. Did we have a launch party for this book? Do bookstores still exist? God, I hope so. <laughs> Obviously, bookstores still exist. And in fact, many independent bookstores have thrived. Mm -hmm. But I have to ask about the launch party part. Did you have a did you manage to have a launch party? I did, but it was such a pandemic launch party. And it was beautiful and it was wonderful. And I wouldn't change a thing now. Um but I think I wrote that in the fall of 2021, that acknowledgement, or maybe like late in the year. And I basically, like you said, was saying, you know, hopefully things get better. Like, hopefully we're out of this dumpster fire. Like, I hope there's a launch party. And it was very tongue in cheek, like, you know, hope bookstores are still around. Um, and then, of course, I my book came out in April of 2022. And where we live in southern Ontario, there was a huge wave of COVID, mm -hmm. like a new strain, right? And I got COVID two weeks before my book came out, uh, oh, I got it for no. the first time and we'd avoided it. We'd been really careful and we'd avoided it. Um, and then I got it. So I kept thinking, can I go to the bookstore on April 19th when my book comes out and, or will I still have COVID? Um, so it was a crazy time. I ended up having a launch party outdoors, uh, on the patio outside a different drummer books in Burlington. Uh, okay, Ian, yeah. owner, Ian is great. He's fantastic. And he was very much sharing my, um, my feeling of wanting to celebrate, but be cautious and smart about it. So we did it completely outdoors and we had, it was like, it was just music and friends and readers and people coming in. And I remember he had this massive stack of books. He had like 80 to hundred books. And I went, oh, Ian, like, you're going to be so disappointed. Like you're going to sell like 10 books. Like the people who are going to come tonight are my friends and they've probably pre-ordered it. And I was like, I was so embarrassed. I thought, Ian, right. you're going to have to return so many of my books. That's so embarrassing for both of us. This is me just getting in my head about everything. And by the end of the night, every book was gone. And congratulations. So, thank you. And so many people had come out and it felt so celebratory and it felt so awesome. So it went from two weeks prior to launch, me lying in bed with COVID, 104 degree fever, my whole family is so sick, me thinking, can I even go to the store? And then we had the launch party about a week after the book came out. So three weeks after that, we're having this beautiful launch and the whole community is being so supportive. And it was just awesome. So yeah, there was a launch. It was super pandemic-y in many ways, but beautiful mm -hmm. and wonderful in others. There needs to be a word, like a long German word for that feeling when you're the author at your own event. Yeah. And it's about 20 minutes, half an hour before it starts. And you're just like, it's going to be me in an empty room. It's going to yeah. be me in the bookseller in an empty room. You know, sometimes it is. Occasionally it is. But then oh, sometimes it's like, too. Yeah. then yes. Did you have that happen with this book? Did you, you know, go to certain places where it's like, yeah, this is going to be great. And it's, it's me and one person. Not with the book, but I had an experience with a hotel that I won't name in the city of Toronto, a hotel that does a lot of events, very hipster. And they... Uh -huh. I had an article go viral in the States. Uh, it was called The Invisible Workload of Motherhood is Killing Me. And this yep. is right before I signed my book deal. And they said, we want you to do a brunch with moms. And we want you to come out and talk and read the article and talk to moms and do all this stuff. It sounded amazing. And then I get there the day of, and they looked at me kind of puzzled. And their events person said, oh, my God, we booked you. And then we forgot to promote oh, this. Oh, no. And she's like, uh do you want to come back another time? And I kind of frazzled was like, Oh, sure. I, I didn't even I just was such a pushover. I was just like, Oh, yeah, of course, no problem. Um, really, it was just crushing. And one person who had seen I had put it on my I think Twitter, Facebook, whatever, one person showed up with a stroller a woman I didn't know. And 
I didn't even get a chance to talk to her because they were kind of like, oh, sorry, the event's canceled. But they weren't explaining to people like, oh, it was canceled because we forgot to promote it. They hadn't put it on their website. They hadn't put it anywhere. So nobody had, no, there was no RSVPs and set up. So, but then I had this awkward thing of like being like, oh, the room is empty. No one's come except for this one woman. And I didn't even want to talk to her because I was so embarrassed. And I just kind of like shuffled back to the train because I had taken the go train in because we'd already moved uh, to the suburbs at that point. Mm -hmm. So I sadly shuffled back. And yeah, so that was the worst that I've had. What's the experience been in terms of like, do you go, do you do the thing where you go to bookstores and sign it? Do you go, have you done a lot of like readings or that kind of thing? How has it been? Uh, I've done a lot of signings. I've done, we did a little mini bookstore tour uh, in Toronto and I've gone around just, I I make it a habit too. If I'm traveling with my family, like we have to do a lot of road trips that Mm -hmm. we always find an independent bookstore and say hello. And if they have a copy, uh, I'll definitely sign it. So that's kind of fun, a more casual thing that we do. Um, I've been able to do some readings and some different literary events, which I found very intimidating at first, but have kind of now discovered that I, I love, um, I love the interview format. I love a panel. Um, I find it still very nerve wracking to read an essay from my book aloud. I'm much more comfortable if someone's interviewing me about the book or asking my opinion on things in the book. Um, it's very scary to just stand in a silent room of people all looking at you and just read a personal essay about things that are hard and you hope that they see the humor in it or they connect with it, but you don't always know. I still am very intimidated by that. So yeah, I was talking to another writer recently who had the opposite feeling. She loves to read from her work because it's very set. Like you just, you read it, you get good at reading that piece and you read it and she hates being interviewed. And I thought, oh, I'm the exact opposite. I'd rather have a conversation with someone where we could see it could go anywhere versus have to look at that room of you know, expectant faces and read something very personal to me. <laughs> right. Do you do the thing where when you're doing readings, do you have, uh, do you like edit as you go? Or do you have you made like little cuts or little things where you're like, yeah, well, I don't know why I had to say that twice. Or or it, do you feel like I'm just going to read exactly what's in the book? I read it exactly. The only time I've wanted to edit was, um, I mean, the book's not like crass in any way, but there is, you know, adult language. Sure. So there are a couple essays, like there's one part where I said, when it's hard, you know, when it's good, it's amazing. But when it's hard, it's really fucking hard. And as I was about to say it, I looked up and the mom had brought like small children with her. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the only time where I was like, oh, and I had like a little panic in my head. Do I say effing? Do I cut out the word? Do I just power through? And I think in the end, I just powered through and looked at her kind of apologetically. And then I thought like, this is an event at 7 p.m. And it's like, there's no other kids here. I'm not gonna, and, and then I had the thing that was like, but I don't want to swear in front of a child. I don't swear in front of my own <laughs> kids. Uh, but no, in terms of the content, there are sometimes I'll read it. And especially because I wrote it a few years ago, be like, oh, you have those moments of like, I like that. And moments of like, oh, probably I would have used a different word here. I think mm-hmm. that's normal. But yeah, I don't let myself edit. I, I couldn't stop if I started. Uh, have you been surprised in moments when you're reading it where maybe a piece, a section that you thought was just descriptive or just a piece of narrative work that you're just getting from A to B and people laugh at it or comment yeah. on it? And you're like, oh, I didn't even see that. That happens all the time. Um, and I get a lot of I get a lot of messages from people. That's the bigger source. Like it's not always a reading or a literary event or like a signing. A lot of the times it's people who buy the book and take it home with them. And then weeks or months later, message me on Instagram or on Twitter or like leave a review on Goodreads or something like that. 
And a lot of, it's a lot of like DMs on Instagram and mm -hmm. people will say, this had so much meaning to me, or I laughed so hard at this part and they're always different. And so I don't think those parts are talking about are universally funny. I think it's, we all laugh at like the parts we see ourselves in or that just like, you know, hit us the right way. And a lot of the time I'm surprised by what it is. And I actually did this to an author really recently. I messaged um, Stuart Ross about his book, um, like the mm -hmm. book of grief and hamburgers. There was a, a line in it that just hit me in the gut. And I messaged him telling him how beautiful it was. And he said, oh, like that was a really meaningful part of the book to me. And you're the first person who has highlighted that specific line. So thank you. And I, it was like a nice little connection. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel the same way when people reach out to me about my work. I go, oh, it's nice that that meant something to you. Because sometimes it's something that meant something to me. I would imagine that a lot of the feedback you get is somewhat intimate because oh, absolutely. of that. Do you yeah. get people kind of wanting to, you know, more a comment than a question kind of thing? Like they want to almost confess. Every week since the book has come out. And it's been the most incredible thing. And what I think is mind blowing to me about it is I know how many books I've sold and I know how many comments I've gotten. And I'm like, it's not like I'm selling tens of thousands of books. And so of course I'm getting comments. It's people who are reading it and connecting with it and feeling compelled to be like, just like you said, like I'm going to not even confess, but I want to share this thing um, almost because it's like I've shared something with them by writing it. A lot of people who uh, feel anxious as parents who have like separation mm -hmm. anxiety or anxiety about their kids' safety um, and well-being, and that's something I've written about. A lot of people who have had hyperemesis, uh, like I did, who said I hated being pregnant and I felt really guilty about that. Um, I felt like I was bad at being pregnant, which is the thing I talk about. Um, like I didn't enjoy it. And it made me feel like, you know, am I going to be a good mom? If I hate being pregnant, how am I going to be a good mom? Which of course, like the two things mean nothing uh, to each other. Um, and then, yeah, just a lot of people reaching out to say, I have never talked to anybody about this, but I've thought about it a lot. Like I've never talked to anybody about feeling this way, but I've thought it a lot. And now that I know you've written about it, I know I'm not alone. So it's a lot of like, thank you for making me feel not alone. So that's been oh, like, it was overwhelming. It's still sometimes a little overwhelming because they're not just like, Hey, I liked your book. It's like, it is very intimate. And I find I get very few, like, Hey, I like your book. I get almost exclusively right. <laughs> like if I'm reaching out to you, it's because I want to tell you this really intimate thing or tell you what it meant to me. So yeah. it's very cool. I, I mean, I hope it continues just because it's very validating for me to be like, I should, it's good that I wrote this book. Like it did mean something to people. Um, but yeah, it's sometimes a little bit overwhelming to know. And it, have you ever had to worry that oh, I might have to start establishing boundaries on this, or maybe I'm getting too much. Uh, this is a little TMI in terms of what people are confessing to me or like there, there must be some sense of responsibility that they're that they're sharing they're trusting you with these with these sort of intimacies i don't know i mean the thing that i kind of laughed about to my husband was um i've always thought of authors i've always really put authors on a pedestal like i love and i'm really a big canlit reader and so it's kind of funny because like the authors i love so much a lot of them like we have friends in common or like they live in 
the greater Toronto area, or at least in Ontario. And so I've always kind of been like, oh, they're so close, but so far, I really put them on a pedestal. I would never, um, if I wrote them, I would never think I'd get a response. Whereas me, someone DMs me, I'm just immediately like, thank you so much. Just so good to hear from you. Thank you for buying my book. So I, I laugh a little bit about like, almost like, am I a big nerd for just like, if someone sends me this message, like I could just be like, thank you and have like a really formal comeback. But I'm immediately like, no, you're not alone. It's going to be okay. Like, you know, uh, <laughs> So I don't know. I mean, I'm not so popular that that's happening so much. That's the problem. But sometimes I do laugh about how I'm like, would I be cooler if I was less accessible? <laughs> but like, I don't need to be cool. <laughs> <laughs> that may also come like six books in when you're you're more calloused and professional and you're like, yeah, oh, then yeah, I leave yeah, them yeah. on red. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> not yet, though, not yet. I do have to to give you one um, moment like that where where I spotted mm-hmm. myself in your book, okay. which is you make a comment in one of the essays about, um, well, the essay is about, you know, wanting to be the dad in a park, wanting to be oh. a, a park dad. Yep. Um, and you actually said a man in public with his children is deemed worthy of respect and admiration simply because he is there. Yeah. I have always been a park dad, but I'm like OG park dad like I did it I've done it for since my oldest kid is 25 so I was mm-hmm. I've been doing it for a quarter century and I like it like it's not a I'm not one of the weekend park dads I'm one of the like every day yeah um but a friend told me a little while ago that she used to see me push a stroller up and down college street in Toronto mm-hmm. and they were working up they were all like working in a bar <laughs> or working in a restaurant and then he'll be like, look at that guy. Oh, he's so sweet. And it was such a weird moment to be like, oh, I'm getting the I'm getting the park dad validation. I, and mm-hmm. I didn't even know I was getting it. But it's such a real thing that yes. whereas when I'm doing it, it's like I'm not doing it to virtue signal. I'm just doing it like, of course, I'm doing it because I enjoy it. But the idea that there's still some lingering like, oh, my God, that's so sweet. He's pushing them on the swings. It's weird that those divisions still exist and that perception still exists. It's very real. And it's it's interesting because when you say like you're not aware of it, it's like, of course you're not because you're just parenting your child and you're just loving your child. The big thing is that when I do the same thing, like when I walk my kid up and down, it used to be like Runnymede, but when I'd walk my kid up and down Runnymede to go to wherever we were going, nobody looked twice because it's so right. expected that I care for yeah. my children. So, and it's, and the criticism is, you know, if my kids were acting out or if I look tired or if I look at my phone because I've got to check something or I'm balancing work or looking to see if that doctor's appointment, like, you know, whatever is going to happen. Um, like I'm judged for that. It's like, why is she looking at her phone? Why does she look tired? Oh, she's not savoring every moment with her kids, but a dad can just show up with their kids or drop them off at school. And it's like, oh, look how involved he is. Uh, Cause the expectations are just so much different. So mm-hmm. it's, I mean, it's not a criticism of those dads. I think it's amazing when both parents are involved and doing their thing. It's a criticism of why are we so hard on moms and so easy on dads? Like if Mm -hmm. you change one diaper, people will be like, oh, he's so great. He's so hands-on. He changed, he changes diapers. But imagine I didn't change my kid's diaper. (laughs) Like I'd be a monster. Yeah. So it's just a weird, a weird thing how two people create a child and then we treat them completely differently. Like the dad is the default is the dad is the assistant is like how they're looked at. And that's, 
not good for dads and it's certainly not good for moms. Yeah. And I will say that like, I've had three kids quite a chunk of time apart between Mm -hmm. them. And when I was in the park with the first kid, it was usually like me and some nannies. Yeah. And then with the second kid, it was me with a lot of moms and a few dads. And then Mm -hmm. now with a much younger kid, it's, it's a nice mix. It's like dads and moms and, you know, big sisters and things. So that's some sign of progress, but I, I also find it still, it still persists that like the park dad never gets advice from strangers about like your kid being needing a hat or needing a, you know, gloves or something, but park moms will still get the, like your kid needs to be warmer or colder or whatever. Oh, constantly. I was so young when my first child was born. So uh, I was not super young, but I was 26 when my daughter was born. Um, and I looked really young. So I probably mm. looked younger than 26. And we were living in downtown Toronto. When my daughter was born, we lived at DuPont and Davenport. So I'd be like oh, okay. walking through the annex and hanging out. And the amount of feedback I got from people, it was constant. And it was always like insignificant things. It was like, oh, she's lost a sock. Her sock is missing. And I'd be like, yeah, she's thrown it off six times. And now it's in the basket <laughs> under the stroller. Um, yeah. You know, it's like, it's September. She's fine. She's not going to freeze. Uh, if I'd pop into a coffee shop to get a coffee, if I took off her coat, cause we were going to be in the line for a while, they'd go, why doesn't she have a coat? If I left the coat on, they'd go, she's going to overheat. And I remember specifically being told by a woman uh, who saw my daughter snacking on Cheerios when she was maybe like 15 or 16 months old. And my daughter was very small. So again, she probably looked younger too. Um, like rushing over to me and tell me my daughter was going to choke on those Cheerios. And I'm like, oh. like they're Cheerios. They're little crispy cereal holes like she's gonna be fine she's been eating them for months and months and I'm like if I had looked a little older or if I'd been a dad I don't think I would have got so many comments like I I was I look back and go wow I was a really good mom at 26 (laughs) I I think part of it was being so I didn't worry about things so much I worried about some things a lot but other things I just kind of did it felt very natural Um, and I didn't overthink it because I was young and overconfident. Like I didn't think like, how am I going to have a baby? I just had a baby and I did it and I loved it. Um, so even when things were hard, I don't know, it's a lot to get into, but it's interesting. The amount of feedback we get, it probably didn't help that I was like wearing like a York university hoodie, pushing the stroller (laughs) with my little 26 year old face. Yeah. Looking 18. Yeah, they probably thought like, oh no, teen mom, she needs my advice. Poor teen yeah. mom. Yeah, but yeah, now yeah. my kids are older and they've oh, there's some good years on me. I don't, <laughs> nobody mistakes me for young anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that sort of also prompts the question, like, will the next book be about uh, you know, essays on mothering teens or uh, you know, how to deal with kids once they become actual people? Not exactly. So I'm working on the second book now. Um, and it's it's taken me longer to kind of figure out what this one is. The first one I had such a clear, like, this is what I'm going to write. And this is what it's going to be. This one, I was kind of like, where am I going? Um, but it's more about, it definitely touches on motherhood, but it's more about almost like the second coming of age that you have in your thirties. Like I just turned 39 last month and I had kids young. I got married young, bought a house relatively young, did all the things that like me as a millennial uh, weren't supposed to do or don't normally mm-hmm. do. And then I feel like a lot of my maturing and really solidifying my values and like really getting a clearer look at the world around me um, has happened in my 30s because my 20s were raising babies. 
And right. so um, I'm writing things like, for example, one of the essays that I finished fairly recently was I've always been pro-choice, always. I've always been uh, for women having control of their own bodies. Um, but it was always like a hypothetical because it was always like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Women should be, of course, we should be able to choose. But now that I have gone through pregnancy and childbirth and raising children, it's like almost radicalized me where I'm like so pro-choice <laughs> <laughs> because I'm just like, I wanted this. I wanted my kids more than anything. And it was so hard, but it's worth it to me because I wanted them so badly and because I love them so much. And that was the life that I wanted and a mm -hmm. life that I chose. Whereas before I was kind of just like flaky about it almost where I'm like, yeah, of course, why wouldn't why shouldn't women be able to choose? But now I'm like passionate about it where I'm like, oh my God, can you imagine forcing a warmer woman to endure pregnancy and childbirth and parenting or whatever other options they have uh, against their will because they don't have choices? Like, so things like that, where in my twenties, the answer would have been on paper, the same, yes, but all of the things around it, all the context around it has changed so much. And I feel things so much more strongly. And so there's a lot of issues like that, where I'm like, wow, I feel like my eyes have opened so much. So yeah, it's still about, I'm still writing about motherhood, but I'm also just kind of writing about being a woman and a person uh, at this age and going through life and, and hopefully people want to read it. We'll see. That's an interesting take on, and you know, I don't, I don't intend for this conversation to devolve into a nice light chat about abortion, but uh, <laughs> it's an interesting take in the sense of you can still love marriage and love being married to somebody and be against forced marriage and being against like arranged forced marriage and making teens marry, you know, uh, people they, they don't love. There's no mm -hmm. contradiction there. And it's weird that some people see a contradiction that you, if you love children, you must hate the idea of abortion. And whereas it's the forced, it's the compelling part that yeah. take, if you know, it's actually the love is the thing that makes you want to avoid any sense of compulsion or forcing. Yeah. It's just a lot of, I think the thing that really came to me was I can't imagine just being treated like a vessel. Mm -hmm. um, and like the second a woman is pregnant, it's very much like she's secondary um, and it's one thing if you choose that, because when I was pregnant, I was choosing to be pregnant and I was having a hell of a time, but I was okay with being second and putting the baby first and, and wanting to have that child and doing everything I could to have that child in a healthy way because I wanted to be a mom, but I cannot imagine getting pregnant by accident going, I don't want to be pregnant. And then being forced to continue the pregnancy because the fetus is deemed more important than I am. So for me, it's just mm -hmm. all about the choice. It's very much, but so these are the things that are, you know, again, like if you'd asked me at 25, like, what are your thoughts on abortion? I would have gone like pro-choice, but like now I'm like, oh, right. let me scream it and give you like all the context <laughs> around it. So yeah, so a lot, a lot of the essays I'm writing now have to do with um, those kind of second coming of age things where I'm like, I know a lot more than I did before <laughs> and that's a good thing. And I, I hope I keep learning for the rest of my life because I certainly still have so much to learn. Um, and I hope I always feel that way. Like, I think if I ever hit a point where I'm like, oh, I know so much, like, you know, just, yeah, send me out to sea. Yeah, send you into the woods. Yeah, exactly. What Happened Next is produced and edited by me. The music playing under my voice is by the great Alex Lukashevsky. 
who is letting me use it for free. You can find more of Alex's music at alukashevsky.bandcamp.com. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. There will be a new episode every Monday. Please buy more books, and not just new ones.